Hello, delicious humans, and welcome to another episode of the My Food Culture Show. I'm super excited to dig into today's topic, which is 15 books that have transformed my life. I am a massive bookworm, and it still blows my mind how for roughly $30 or less, you can essentially access an entire lifetime of learning from an expert or a thought leader. So today it was a really tough gig, actually, (laughs) whittling down this list to 15, but I'm going to be sharing those titles with you very, very shortly and key lessons that I took away from these beautiful novels. Firstly, I wanted to share with you guys a few reflections I had from a body image experience over the weekend. I was this Sunday volunteering with a local charity organization that I'm part with at a triathlon. And as you can imagine, triathlons, there's a lot of bodies on show. It's sporting. So, okay, maybe understandable that weight was a little bit more on people's minds. However, it still really struck me how much weight talk, how much body talk was around me that weekend. It was a frequent subject of conversation and it it wasn't even judgmental. So the ladies around me weren't talking about, you know, they weren't putting other people's bodies down, but I feel like maybe it was triggering some thoughts and beliefs and negative views that they were holding about their own body. So there was a lot of talk around how much weight they had lost or gained or wanted to lose weight, what size they were. It just kept coming back into conversation. And my approach to diet talk is I I don't overtly shut it down with people. I don't try to feed it either, but nonetheless, it still kept coming up. Please don't get me wrong. These ladies are absolutely gorgeous. They're in their 60s and 70s and have had amazing lifetimes. I love hanging out with them. They're the most gorgeous souls that, you know, that you could ever want to be with. And in many respects, that makes it all the more sad to me that even in their 60s and 70s, weight loss and dieting and the whole gamut of body image stuff is still something that they're carrying around. I, last year, discovered a lady called Terrari Trent, and biggest apologies if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. For those of you who have heard of who this amazing lady is, she is a Zimbabwean-born woman who, despite all odds, managed to fight her way out of poverty, get a a tertiary education, eventually even a a PhD, and she runs a massive charity these days which helps to educate other women in Africa. Now, Terere, she talks about not passing along the baton of poverty. Yeah? So even though she was born into a certain set of circumstances which were so difficult and so heartbreaking and so unfathomable for someone like me who's been born into such a economically privileged part of the world. But she talked about how that is a baton that was 
not something she was willing to pass along to her girls and her children. I love this analogy and I think it applies so powerfully to the body image state of affairs at the moment too. When I think about why I do what I do with my food culture, there's many reasons. I love helping people. I want to create food freedom and health and energy and help you feel good about food and your bodies and your lives. But there's a deeper why for me. And it's the why that I draw on when business gets hard, when you have those days, and they don't happen very often, but when you have those days where you go, oh my goodness, why am I doing all this? (laughs) I think about if I ever have a daughter, I never, ever want her to grow up feeling about her body the way that I did. That is a baton that I am determined not to pass forward to my daughter and to any of the daughters and sons of tomorrow. So there's a lot of work to do. And because I am so vigilant these days about not being around friends who are really deeply steeped and caught up in body image and beauty and diet culture, it was really quite confronting to be back around that kind of environment where people were talking about their bodies and putting down their weight and talking about dieting in a very normative way again. Yeah, it was really obvious to me. And, And whilst it didn't hook me, it again reminded me of, wow, there's so much work in this space to do. And for that reason today, I so heartfeltly Thank you for being here and churning in and being willing to listen to some of these topics. On to today's topic, which are 15 books that transformed my life. And I got to say, guys, it was a really tough gig to whittle this list down. (laughs) But after a lot of reflection, I managed to get my top five for each of the categories that I talk about at My Food Culture. So our motto here is less is more, you are enough, and life's too short to worry about the calories in a latte or the shape of your thighs. So those three categories are essentially, you know, less is more, we're simplifying, we're slowing down, we're figuring out what's really important to us in life. The You Are Enough piece is all about self-compassion and and confidence. And of course, we've got all the non-diet health stuff as well. So I've picked out my top five for each category. And I'm going to give you guys the title, the author, and a few key lessons that I got from each book. And I really hope you enjoy. Shout out also to the lovely Lindsay who suggested this topic. Thank you so much, Honey Bunch. I so appreciate your feedback and everything you do. So without further ado, let's begin. Category one, less is more. The first book which came to my mind is this, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. Oh my God, you guys. I 
am not a crier typically when it comes to books and movies. I typically cry when I'm super angry and frustrated or when I'm anxious. Not often because I'm sad, weirdly enough, but I sobbed my way through this book. I don't know if a novel has ever moved me the way that this particular one did. So Bronnie, the author, was a palliative care nurse for almost 10 years, I believe. And this book is a memoir of her career and what she considers to be the top five lessons that we can learn from people who are in palliative care and looking back in their lives and reflecting on what they wish they had done. So it is a fantastic book that really helps you to stop sweating the small stuff, to put life in perspective, to hone in on what really truly matters. When you're reading about somebody who wished that they had expressed love to their children more, it kind of puts running five minutes late for a meeting and the stress that we think about on that in perspective. So in reading this book, it really peeled back what I, like all of us, I think, tend to get caught up in, which is the small worries of the day-to-day minutiae of our lives, and really sat back and reflected like, wow, when I'm one day on my deathbed, how do I want to feel? How do I want to be remembered by? And of course, I think all of us are going to have some regrets. That's the beauty of hindsight and retrospection, isn't it? But I don't want to leave this planet regretting the really deep stuff. And it's profound and simple. I won't share all of the regrets here. I just so wholeheartedly recommend for you to read the book yourself. But she talks about things like caring less what other people think (laughs) and how much that plays a role in not going for the things that we really care about. So top five regrets of the dying, it gets my number one pick for the less is more category. Book two is Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Greg does a really beautiful job to me of summing up how when we're not clear on the bigger picture goal, we get so caught up in the little stuff along the way, we miss out on the stuff that truly matters to us. So he very clearly articulates how you can figure out what's really essential to you and to your life and how you can begin to prioritize that in a very actionable way. My personal business mentor has said to me quite a number of times that most people tend to overestimate what they can achieve in the short term, but we underestimate what we can achieve in a lifetime. That is a lesson which in today's instant gratification society is so important, I think, to get a handle of. So This is a great read if you're wanting a bigger picture view of what's really important to your life and wanting to put some boundaries up in place as well to protect your time so that you're making actionable steps to get you towards the the end game. Number three is Do Less by Kate Northrup. So this book has a bit more of a feminine feel to it. The essentialism title is a bit more masculine or business-oriented And it's really perfect, I think, for women who are struggling to balance business and families and life and relationships. 
It's also got a bit more of a spiritual flavor, which I can do bits of woo-woo in small doses, but may not be for you if you're on a 100% anti-woo-woo diet. That being said, I think Kate does a fantastic job of, again, putting in perspective the power of not being overwhelmed, not taking on too much, because when we do that, we really dilute our power, right? The book also has a couple of really interesting exercises which transformed my outlook on work this year. So I'm going to share a couple with you now. The first exercise is that Kate suggests doing a weekly to-do list as opposed to a daily to-do list. And this to me has felt so spacious and so freeing because a lot of my work is quite creative. I find it hard to plan for the times when I'm going to be fantastic at writing or podcasting. And it's felt kind of unnatural for me working out of sync with my creative rhythm a bit. So this idea of setting a weekly schedule or weekly to-do list is fantastic because it allows me to, I guess, operate a bit more organically with how my natural highs and lows typically are as a human. And it also gives you this psychological sense of space. So I don't know if you guys can relate to that feeling where you put 50 things on your to-do list for the day and you only get to three of them. And so you feel like a failure and you're panicking and you're rushing and you're trying to get through it all. And it's, for me at least, a really stressful way of working. With this method, what I do for the week is I, on Monday morning, I do a massive brain dump of everything I need to get done, quote unquote, air marks there. And then I pick out like my five most important tasks and set them as a weekly list. So whenever I'm making decisions around my time, around meetings, around taking on new clients, I'm constantly referring back to that list and making sure that those big rocks are the first thing that I put my focus on. And the little stuff tends to fit around that. So that's working really well for me. The second is an exercise which helps you to put the Pareto principle into practice. If you haven't heard about the Pareto principle before, it's the 80-20 rule, which states that for basically any result that we want in life, about 20% of your effort and activities produces 80% of the results. That's cool. And I could always kind of get my head around that as a theory, right? But the bit that has often stumped me is, well, how the feck do I figure out what that top 20% is? So Kate outlines a great exercise where you put down on two sides of a page, you've got one column, which puts down all your activities and steps that you think are going to get you results. And then on the second column of your page, you actually list the results you want and you reverse engineer what previously or what do you think are the things on the left that link most strongly to the right. And when I did this on my business, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm doing so much rushing around trying to squeeze in tasks that historically have not really resulted in much of a business outcome that I care about. This could apply to your health, to your well-being, to anything that you're trying to change. 
So really fun exercise, really great book, also available on audio, and it's a nice listen too. Fourth on the list is Rushing Women's Syndrome by the amazing Dr. Libby Weaver. There are a lot of books on slowing down out there, but what I love about Dr. Libby's take is that she really looks at it from her different pillars of health. So she looks at it from a biochemical perspective. She looks at it from an emotional perspective, a psychological perspective. So it's a really holistic look at why we operate, so many of us women especially, under this pervasive sense of pressure and urgency in our everyday lives. And this for me was the book that made me look at caffeine differently. (laughs) So, you know, I'm a non-diet dietitian. I very rarely tell people to exclude any food groups or any foods whatsoever um, where I can avoid it. But coffee and caffeine, if you have a sense of anxiety, a sense of pressure, stress, urgency, fatigue, I I do think that it's one of those substances that deserves a good look at and a study of your relationship around it. So when I looked into this for myself, I realized that I drink coffee when I want more energy. That's the trade-off that I'm trying to make. So it is a band-aid for not looking at the other things in my life that are causing energy drain or that are missing that tend to boost my energy instead. What I also loved about this book is that Dr. Libby gives you really beautiful exercises for exploring why you need to rush. And for myself, when I did this exercise and what she shares for many of us is that when we're rushing, we're often trying to achieve, please and perform for others, which on a deep level comes down to a longing for love and acceptance, that very basic need to have approval. So Rushing Women's Syndrome by Dr. Libby Weaver, beautiful book, highly recommend it. My fifth pick is Finding Peace in a Frantic World by Professor Mark Williams and Dr. Danny Penman. Wow, what an amazing book this was. And this was the piece that fully converted me into meditation. It's a very evidence-based book. So uh, Mark Williams, Danny Penman, incredibly well qualified professionals, academics in this space, and it's steeped in good psychological theory. And yet it's still written in a really human way. So the book is imbued with all these client case studies, which reflect on the page so many pieces of ourselves back to us. It also comes with an audio book version for their program. So they have a six-week mindfulness program, which personally I love structure. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm trying to change a habit, I like having a program to follow or some sort of structure until it becomes just a way of doing things. And I really liked their meditations. I got so many results from the program. It's, I guess, a scientific iteration or a more psychology-based iteration of rushing women's syndrome written from the perspective of psychologists 
who are experts in anxiety and mindfulness. Fantastic book. Next category, guys, is You Are Enough. And top spaces, I can't choose between these two novels. They're both as good as each other. So the first one I'm going to mention here is Self-Compassion Step-by-Step by Dr. Kristen Neff. I buy a copy for almost every single coaching client I work with because it is such a profound book and I'm an enormous believer in the power of self-compassion. When I went through self-compassion training with a psychologist and really integrated in this this into my life many years ago, it changed who I am as a person. It changed everything. It deepened my relationship with food. It deepened my relationship with my body image. And it kind of, it gives you the freedom when you've got a self-compassion practice to still be working on yourself and having goals, but to separate your self-worth from all of that. It gives you this sense that I am okay no matter what is going on in myself and in my life right now. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. So Dr. Kristen Neff is a psychologist who has done her PhD in self-compassion. She's a guru in this space. Again, the book has a lot of research. It's very evidence-based, but it also has this beautiful humanity imbued through it where Kristen Neff explores how self-compassion helped her raise a child with disability a lot more profoundly and powerfully. Lots of client case studies. And again, the audiobook version comes with a bunch of self-compassion meditations read by Dr. Kristen Neff herself. Amazing. The book that ties with this one is Radical Self-Acceptance by Tara Brock. So again, Tara is also a psychotherapist. She is also a Buddhist monk. So this book, it ties in Buddhist principles without being too woo-woo about it. It straddles those two sides of the fence really, really beautifully. It's all about learning how to accept yourself. And, you know, it just dissolves so much As Tara, to paraphrase her in the book, she sort of says, you know what, even if you're not accepting yourself right now, you can actually accept that. Like what's so bad and wrong about any feeling in any moment if you can just be with it? Profound, gorgeous, every single person I've ever recommended this book to comes back raving about it as well. Again, I would recommend the audio version because There are some beautiful meditations from Tara herself throughout that version of the book. Third recommendation is Burnout, The Secret to Solving the Stress Cycle by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. This is, how to describe this? It's, It's a scientific look at burnout, but it also has this beautiful, compassionate flavor on it as well. The tag on the version that I have is this book is for any woman who says I'm not enough. (laughs) So how perfectly does that fit into this category? And what I love about these two girls, women, I should say, who have a very strong science and research background is that they kind of, without putting it down, they kind of go, gosh, self-care is fantastic. But bloody hell, like 
women need tools and suggestions for burnout that actually fit into the reality and the chaos of what, you know, working and raising a family in the modern day can actually entail. So it's funny, it's human, it's got lots and lots of research and evidence base behind it. And the standout that I took from this book actually was, as the title promises us, was understanding how to discharge the physical side of the stress cycle. So when I came upon burnout, I'd been meditating for years. I had a very strong self-compassion practice. And I certainly knew that deep breathing and exercise helps to discharge stress. However, the authors go into the science and the specificity of how if you have a stressful day, which let's face it, most of us do, many days, the current science shows us that you actually need about 20 minutes of half and puff exercise to flush out the biochemistry of that stress. And guys, I'm not talking about this from the perspective of stress causes cancer or illness or yada yada. I'm talking about the chemicals that are giving you the experience of stress even once that stress has passed. So that is one example of many how Emily and Amelia really break down burnout, they break down stress, and they give you very realistic tools to deal with it. 20 minutes of a fast-paced walk is so much more achievable for many of us than a really hardcore workout. So I love this book. Again, I recommend it too. I do a lot of corporate well-being and executive energy coaching, and I recommend this book to a lot of my clients in that space and have heard so much good feedback about it too. Fourth recommendation, we are totally changing gears. And this book is If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie. Sharon is also a psychologist who has had some major episodes of burnout or trauma or whatever you want to call it in your life as well. And she uses the power of storytelling and fables to reconnect women with a deeper, wiser part of themselves. I have a lot of Irish, Scottish ancestry and have been forever obsessed with folklore and fairy tales from this era. I've got sitting on my bookshelf in front of me, I've got a title that's 25 years old now of traditional Scottish fairy tales. I'm I'm just so obsessed with that culture and time. So it could be that the book resonated with me a little bit more deeply from that because Sharon actually lived in the UK for many years and she weaves these amazing myths and fables from that culture's history and links them in such a beautiful, emotive, I get goosebumps thinking about it, way for how women can live today. So it borders on the esoteric. It's definitely not a dry read. It's, yeah, I don't even know what genre to class this as. I think it would be a really beautiful book if you're in a time of lots of change and shift in your life and you're wanting to root down and find yourself again and reconnect with the stiller, wiser parts of who you really are. If Women Rose Rooted is a beautiful book for you. 
The fifth and last book for this category is Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. This book, to be truthful, I only got through the first half because I felt like I got the core message from it very early on in the piece. And I also think this book might resonate a little bit more with a male readership. Kamal is a male author who had a, I'm going to, again, air quote, failure with a big uh, startup, tech startup over in Silicon Valley and used self-love as a way to bounce back from that and get his life completely on track. So it isn't a evidence-based read. It isn't touchy-feely like Sharon Blackie's book, but it's very practical. It's very straight to the point, and I still think it conveys a core message which all of us need in the West, which is, yeah, love yourself like your life depends on it. Your life may not depend on it, but your life, at least in my view, is greatly enriched by learning to love yourself. Our last category for today, guys, which is the non-diet approach and body positivity. The first title here is literally the first book that I picked up and read about this whole new way of thinking about food and nutrition and your health many, many moons ago, which is written by one of the OGs in this space, Dr. Rick Kausman. And the book is If Not Dieting, Then What?, What a bloody brilliant name for a book because it sums up precisely what many of us are confused about, which is, okay, I get that diets don't work, but then what in the heck am I supposed to do? So Dr. Rick Kausman does a lovely job of breaking down the science of why diets don't work in a very layman way as well. So it's not too textbooky or anything like that. It's a very approachable read. And he gives some really lovely exercise and how-to steps for what you can do if you're wanting to give up diets but still look after your health. So that is a fantastic read. The next one has only been officially on the bookshelves for a couple of months now, and it is Thin Sanity by the legend Glenn McIntosh. This book I think is the most comprehensive title that's been written around weight neutrality. Glenn does such a fantastic job of, A, he's funny, guys. He, <laughs> for what can be a really dry subject, Glenn has done such a beautiful job of imbuing humor and making this book lighthearted and relatable, you know, throughout every page. But he does a really good job of presenting both sides of the evidence. So there's even a chapter in there around, for example, bariatric surgery and, you know, what would be some helpful things to think about if you were considering lap bed surgery and that kind of thing. So it's got something for everyone. And it's when I think, if I think about the best description for this book, it's a Bible. It's a Bible on the non-diet approach, body image, weight neutrality, and weight psychology and food psychology. So definitely get your hands on a copy of that book, guys. It is fantastic. The third book is Real Gorgeous by Kaz Cook. I don't believe this is in print anymore. I bought a copy off eBay 
last year for a client. It is fantastic, I think, for teenage girls. So if you are a mum or dad listening to this going, you know, I've got a daughter whom I'm a bit worried about. She's doing some funny things with food. I think she thinks she's too fat. She's gorgeous. What she's talking about, real gorgeous is amazing. But it's also very entertaining if you're an older woman as well. So Kaz Cook is a comedian, I believe, and a journalist. Don't quote me, but she's funny as heck. There's cartoon pickies through it. She kind of calls bullshit on the beauty industry, but in a way that kind of leaves you still feeling really upbeat and it's just a beautiful book, real gorgeous, Kaz Cook. I think it's in, I know in our Sunshine Coast libraries, they've got a copy in circulation. So check out your libraries as well. They might have a copy. The fourth book has only been in circulation for maybe 18 months now and it's Love Your Body by Jessica Sanders. I've included this one as a heartfelt recommendation for young kids. I get asked or probably on a weekly basis by people, I'm worried about my little girl. It's often a little girl but we know of course you know it happens to little boys as well but you know, my little girl's getting bullied at school. She thinks she's too fat. She does eat a lot. I am a bit worried about her weight, but I don't want her to be at risk of an eating disorder. Like how do I approach any of that with my kids? And that topic deserves a full episode to itself. But sometimes I think it's useful to have a tool that's relatable to kids when they're at that younger age. And this book can be a gorgeous gateway into planting some body positive self-love ideas into the minds of your precious little ones and reading it together could even be an opportunity to open up that discussion if you're not sure how to do it in a way that's not going to be too confronting or difficult for your kid too so love your body it's essentially a picture book which Jessica's done a gorgeous job of representing, you know, all body shapes, sizes, colors. And she still talks about health, but it's through that lens of loving yourself, choosing foods and ways of moving your body that feel good and are fun. So it's a really uplifting, beautiful read, perfect for your little ones or anyone for that matter. The last book here is more recommendation for other non-diet or even just other dietitians, and it's Health at Every Size by Dr. Linda Bacon. I think this book does a beautiful job of introducing professionals to the non-diet approach because it's quite research heavy. It's very, very evidence-based. Certainly, I know lots of my coaching clients still read this, even if they aren't health professionals. So by all means, go for it. It's still a fantastic book. But If you are listening to this and you work in the health and wellness space and you're wondering a little bit more what the Health at Every Size or Hayes movement is about, how might I incorporate the non-diet approach in all weight-neutral practices into my work, then this would be a fantastic introduction to you. Gorgeous humans, I so hope that you have found this episode helpful and if you've found it a bit hard to hear any of the authors or titles then there's also a 
blog on my website called 15 Books That Changed My Life where I'll list these out. I'll provide links so that you can just jump in there. So my website is mfcmyfoodculture.com and if you just go to the blog tab, it'll be in there for you guys. And as always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're finding this content helpful. Would love to hear your feedback. And if you would like help with simplifying your life, working on having a positive view of yourself and your body and getting your health and energy on track in a way that's super self-kind and not through diet culture restriction, then I would love to work with you. My email is support at mfcmyfoodculture.com. Don't be shy, reach out, introduce yourself and know that you are not alone. Until next week, guys, remember this, less is more, you are enough and life's too short to worry about the calories in a latte or the size of your thighs. Big hugs and love to you all.